As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show, another listener questions episode of the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. Today, we're contemplating fake kickoff times, a CONCACAF-CAF merger, which makes for a fun and confusing name. What happened to Christian Ramirez? And if your response to that was who, then that is exactly why we're (laughs) answering that question. Players that opted out of their national teams and much, much more. Joining me to answer those questions and more is a man who remains eligible for Scotland and, as far as I know, has never opted out of that eligibility. It's Graham Ruthven. Hi, Graham. Hi, Taylor Rock. Well, yes, I'll be eligible until the day that that call comes, and I'm just going to hang <laughs> around by the phone yep. waiting for that that phone to ring. It's 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 been a long 31 years so far. Now, Graham, I mean, th- it, c- it could still happen. You never know how dire things could get for Scotland, though they've been pretty dire in the past, and you didn't yeah. get that call. But we can cross our fingers and hope. If Team GB calls nope. for the podcast Olympics, are you going to go? Or are you holding out for the Scotland podcast uh, call-up? So the thing is, the Scottish FA advise... So in, the only time that there's been a men's Team GB team at Olympics was in mm-hmm. 2012 when London obviously hosted it. And London felt like they needed to put in a, a men's TB, Team GB team. But the Scottish FA, not just the Scottish FA, the Welsh FA and, and I believe the Northern Irish FA as well, basically said to any player who was thinking of accepting that call-up, if you accept this call-up, you're dead to us and you're never getting in the national team, like the Scotland <laughs> national team again. So I would, have, I would be forced to pick Team GB or Scotland, which in this political climate actually feels quite reflective <laughs> of uh, society in general. Uh, it was meant as a lighthearted podcast Olympics question, and we got a real-world answer. Thank you for that, Graham. <laughs> I, I do appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate all the lister questions we got. We've got multiple, many to get to, uh, so I will stop rambling, except to say apologies for any technical difficulties on my end of the last couple shows. I think my mic might finally be wearing out, so we've switched it. Hopefully, we don't get a ton of crackling while I'm talking. If you heard that in the last couple episodes, I apologize and hope it is resolved. On to today's question. Graham. First one comes from Ryan Reynolds. I'm very curious if it's that Ryan Reynolds. Premier League uh, games stated kickoff times 10 a.m. The game kicks off at 10 a.m. MLS stated kickoff time 7 p.m. Game game kicks off at 7.23. Why is it like this? Is it just an American thing or do other leagues do this too? So first of all, I assume that this is the real Ryan Reynolds taking time out of his busy schedule owning Welsh football teams and yep. selling gin and annoying Rob McElhenney with how much everyone likes him. So yep. hi Reynolds, uh, Ryan Reynolds, if, if if you're listening, um, this this is an ans- this is something I'm not sure I've got a like a straight factual answer to. So that this is something that comes from other American sports, right? It's not it's not yep. something that happens in other soccer leagues or, or other sports, um kind of global sports. Tennis can be a bit fluid with its scheduling, but that's generally down to things like other matches going long because they because they just release the schedule and it's one match after the other, you don't really know when it's going to start. But it's, it doesn't really 
defy a starting time like American sports do. And Andrew Das, who used to be my editor at the New York Times, he waged a, a one-man crusade yes, against this on Twitter. And MLS, I believe, actually changed the way that they list their kickoff time. So if you go on to uh, MLSsoccer.com, MajorLeagueSoccerSoccer.com, as I like to call it, you'll see <laughs> the, the conference finals schedule along the top. Click into those games and you will actually see the real kickoff time listed. So I'm looking at LAFC versus uh, Austin FC this weekend. And at the top, it says 7, 7 p.m. But if you scroll down a little bit, it does say 7.18 p.m. So that's the actual kickoff time. And I like to think that that was down to Andrew, da- Andrew Das. I think he claimed a moral victory on Twitter when MLS started doing that. Um, but it feels yeah. like that it, it is an, an American sporting thing. Is it down to television? Is that so, so that maybe people well, are tuning in for the pre-match show? Is that the reason? Well, see, here's what confuses me is I would su- I would assume that it's based on the the broadcasters and that like basically they are going to have different pregame coverage. So if one network is doing a half an hour pregame show, then maybe they're going to schedule that for half an hour ahead of kickoff. Whereas if you're not doing that, you're probably going to start your coverage with like the players walking out the anthems and then we'll do coin toss kickoff lineups and that kind of delays things. But that MLS has that actual stated kickoff time tells me there is a hard and firm plan there. They've just made it 7.18 instead of 7 p.m. I think some of that has to do with uh, the lead-in coverage and everything like that. Some of it has to do with individual broadcast rules. I think, for example, in Canada, there's a rule that TSN has that you can't have overlapping games, so you have to wait for one to finish before the other can right. kick off. And I think there's there's some regulations in that way. I also do think... Sometimes teams will just lie because they want people in the stadium for the start of the game. So they make it seem like it's starting earlier. So then you have more people in the stands. But I think there are a variety of answers to this. I am still confused why they don't just make it 7 o'clock kickoff with coverage starting at 645. I I like to think that I embrace most sporting Americanisms. I like giant tackles. I like playoff beards. I can't grow one, but I I can appreciate (laughs) them from a distance. I I cannot get on board, though with uh with two things so the first one is the word cleats i'm just never going to say that word instead of football boots and and the second thing is starting match and not starting matches when when the match is is meant to start i have to say that that does great on me i I don't have a i don't have time to wait around waiting for kickoff this isn't a guns and roses concert you you turn up on time and you play at this time you're meant to (laughs) i will i will forever remember in college i was walking over to like my buddy's apartment to watch champions league and it was like 245 i was maybe five minutes away and he texted me hey this isn't some like normal american broadcast this is champions league it starts on time and i remember (laughs) that sticking with me as being a confusing thing that there are certain couple Competitions that will always start on time. And I wish they were all like that because I think it, it helps standardize things. You know exactly when you need to tune in. And especially, uh, what was me, when there's a West Coast kickoff, like a 10 p.m. kickoff, and it's like, all right, if it's 10, fine, it'll be done by midnight. I'll, I'll, I'll go to bed after that. And then you slowly realize, like, oh, this isn't kicking off till 10.30. Uh, yeah. So now now that changes the uh, the metrics a little bit. Maybe that's why they do it, too. The thing is, though, an, an experienced MLS viewer would would factor this in now, like people do when they go to the, go to the cinema to see, a, to see a movie. You know that the listed start time is it's not going to be that it's going to be 25 minutes after that because you've got to have all your adverts and trailers so your experienced cinema goer turns up 25 minutes after the list time and i feel like experienced mls viewers do that i watch quite a bit of mls and i get sucked into that trap every single time where i will turn i'll turn on the tv at the listed time and then and then get the world feed at least you guys get you know like taylor twelman and i think you get like a studio show before the game we just get the world feed showing scenes of the stand as they run through the team graphics for 20 minutes before the start of the match which is not the most entertaining content Oh, that's like the Bundesliga halftime show on ESPN, I think, is always that. It's just shots of the crowd with uh, some highlights, but without any commentary over the top. Yeah. Which is always slightly odd, but I'm kind of into that. All right. So either way, we would like it to be maybe more standardized kickoff times. And we both appreciate Andy Das for his uh, crusade on that front. Next question comes from Anthony Valdivia. If CONCACAF and CAF combined, how would CONCACAF nations do in a combined international competition? I, uh, side note for me, am convinced Anthony is asking this question 
Certainly because he's actually curious, but also because he realized how great that confederation name would be. Because <laughs> it could be Calf CONCACAF, but more likely I think it would be CONCACAF CAF. And that is just a, a good old time. So, Graham, with that totally useful information out of the way, what are your thoughts? Because I think it could be very interesting in a good and bad way. Yeah, so first of all, I, I misread this question the first time around because you hear people talking about merging CONCACAF and Comnibol quite often. Yeah. Certainly the the Copa America and the Gold Cup and obviously America took part in the in the Centenario Copa America. So th- that's actually the road that I went down first of all. And then I had uh, a, a, a second take, a double take at, at it and then realized that it's a proposal, a proposed merger of Central and North American and, and African soccer, which... Uh, would be weird and unexpected and unexplained, but I, I guess it could be some sort of World Cup bid, considering I now see Ukraine are part of Spain and Portugal's bid for the 2030 World Cup, and I think naturally, Greece and... Naturally. Greece and well, that, that's not even the weirdest one. Greece and Saudi Arabia are partnering up for, for a bid, which, you know, makes total sense for those two countries to, to, to be co-hosting. See, I wish... I wish I'm, I'm jumping in to say, I wish that they would do it. I would be cool if they did it historically like if they did an italy and north africa combined world cup because yeah. like you've got the roman connection there you've got historical connections or like spain morocco that would be cool but yeah the, the totally randomly disparate geographical locations makes slightly yeah. less sense to me and 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 britain with all the countries around the world that hate us uh so also we could that have, we could have stadiums <laughs> in all corners of the globe uh, <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, <laughs> CONCACAF and CAF combined. Let's get this back on track. Yeah, we had a, we, we had a similar question a while back when we were asked um, how CONCACAF nations would do in UEFA. And I think yeah. my, my answer to this question about CAF is, is relatively similar. So Mexico, the US, and, and I guess Canada, now that they are good, would qualify for, for World Cups. But I, I also think they would miss World Cups. And my, my yeah. kind of arbitrary estimate would be that those nations would qualify for as many world cups as they miss that would basically be what would happen um i I think they would they would potentially miss even more world cups than they would in uefa because of the the brutal qualifying format that that there is in calf where all the teams are funneled into this this crazy playoff system where one-off results decide what teams do and 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 don't go to the world cup so even if the the US or Mexico or Canada or any CONCACAF nations, if, if they had a great qualification campaign, they still end up at the mercy of this this one-off game. And I, I, I then went and looked at some of the, the FIFA rankings. So Senegal are, are the highest-ranked CAF team at the moment. They're 18th, which is actually below Mexico in the US. I, I'm not sure how much stock I put in the FIFA rankings because at the moment I, I w- might take Senegal as the best of those three. I think maybe Senegal, Senegal win matches against Mexico in, in the US. I guess we might get some proof of that at this winter's world cup if those teams face each other but nonetheless there are there are nine calf teams in in the fifa top 50 and it would be among this group that i think the three top concaf teams right now so mexico um canada and the usa that's probably Mm -hmm. where in amongst that group maybe towards the top of that group but nonetheless they would be in that group i think the biggest loser would surely be costa rica who would who would probably have their route to the world cup closed off most years, if they were in CAF, I, I think they would probably get caught up in that competition. It's not just the fact that there are generally better teams in CAF, but also the depth of the competition is just so much deeper. And I think Costa Rica would probably get bogged down in that quite often. I think I think Costa Rica presently would. I think Costa Rica of 2014, let's say, I think they probably fare better than a lot of CONCACAF nations because of that sort of defend deep, counterattack effectively and efficiently, frustrate your opponent, little bit of housery on top and uh, see how things go. So in certain ways, I could see them succeeding, but I think you're absolutely right. The current iteration of Costa Rica probably struggles a bit more until they kind of figure themselves out. So yeah, it then leads to the USA, Canada, and Mexico uh, playing, I would say, more consistently competitive games in more consistently competitive competitions. And I think that probably ends up benefiting sort of the top part of CONCACAF. I don't know how it plays out because, lest we forget, CONCACAF is a confederation of 40-something countries. So I don't know if it helps, yeah. I don't know, St. Vincent and the Grenadines improve and Grenadines improve their overall ability. But I think for the United States, for Canada, for Mexico, it gives you more opponents who will take the game to you so you can have more open games or try to sit deep and sort of practice that. Uh, game plan, but then you're also still going to get games against teams that will bunker themselves, and then you're going to have more of the ball. So 
it's 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 basically a stronger CONCACAF in my mind. And so you put the best teams from CONCACAF into that. And I think that they will sometimes do well and sometimes do poorly. But ultimately, it probably makes them better because they just have more experience. They're mm. a more veteran unit coming out of it. Yeah, I, I, maybe this is just me being ignorant. Maybe my excuse is that I'm a bit of an outsider. But it always surprises me how many countries are in CONCACAF. You, I always think mm. of CONCACAF as one of the kind of the smaller confederations yeah. and, I, and, I, and I guess it is in, in kind of the grand scheme of things but nonetheless there are a lot of countries in, in CONCACAF I guess it's maybe because there's a lot of countries that don't really get close to a World Cup and get funneled out before the, before the Gold Cup as well but yeah CONCACAF does have more nations than uh, than I am generally aware of and I guess pushing them into CAF which also has a lot of countries I, w- I would like to see how that qualification process and, and also if the CONCACAF teams are going into AFCON how that would work uh, because that seems like chaos but then I am all for chaos generally as a motto in life so let's have it. Uh, I also think it would at least feel somewhat familiar to the United States in particular because we know when they go on the road to uh, to Central America and the Caribbean that they are not greeted with the warmest of receptions. The United States also doesn't have a great history in Africa, uh, both cl- like in colonial times and in modern times. So I'm mm. going to guess that there would also be some pretty hostile receptions for the U.S. men's national team. So wherever they go, because really then I brought that out to like the Middle East, kind of the case, Southeast Asia, kind of the case, Europe, kind of the case. Uh, yeah, I think the U.S. and uh, Great Britain can maybe go toe to toe on uh, who dislikes us more. Yeah, maybe the U.S. and Great Britain could do this uh like a whole a, a co-hosted world cup where basically every other country in the world just throws tomatoes at us for yeah. a month uh <laughs> in stocks that that would be a strong selling point i'd imagine for votes that would be popular with the with the the rest of the world and other confederations do you put in do you put in different players like every hour is it different can we get some politicians in there at least yeah sure so okay, first cool. hour john terry he is right. in for for an hour uh, who's going in second hour? Trump, I guess, if we're bringing in some politicians. Yeah, why not? We could we could have a rotation. Uh, Carl Henry, I think, can be third. I was reading about him in the lead-up to our Soccer 101. Uh, I think it was Carl Henry who has some uh, political opinions that I uh-huh. don't necessarily love, so we can throw him in there, too. Why not? Uh, but, yeah, I, I think overall Peter it Shelton. would be a really... Yeah, Peter Shelton, yes. Uh, I think this would be really interesting, and I think would really would just give uh, i think nations an opportunity to play because looking at let's say afcon for a second the most recent uh, africa cup of nations if you dropped uh i would say the worst team but i'll go with the bottom finishing team from group a so ethiopia is knocked out so you've got cameroon uh, cameroon burkina faso and cape verde you throw the u.s into there you're immediately getting a very good game against cameroon you know that where maybe they'll be stodgy maybe they'll be open but either way it's going to be a challenge to get by them and so that's immediately stronger than the group stage in in the gold cup where you don't always have mm-hmm. or you rarely have a team that is likely to be a challenger uh and yeah i think your point about senegal is well taken uh morocco and ghana in a group add the us to that or canada to that nigeria and egypt you throw let's say mexico in there i think it's going to be tough to tell who gets out of that group and so you come away with a more like game hardened team yeah. uh, ideally or you come away realizing eh, we're not at that level we need to improve we need to change things up and i think it, it does give you yeah. more experience to compete on the global stage yeah and i think there there is some logic behind the idea that sure the u.s and, and mexico and canada would would miss some world cups but the world cups that they did qualify for they would they would there, I think there's a theory, sounds the, a sound theory there that they would be stronger for those World Cups. They would be better for the the competition for having had to fight their way through that that mm-hmm. that packed field and that deeper field. So I don't know. It, it would be, I mean, obviously this is a hypothetical question. I don't think this is going to happen anytime soon or ever, really. But if you offered USMNT fans this choice, I would be interested to see what they went for because there is a chance that the USMNT become stronger as a result of this but maybe you're not watching the US at as many world cups would would fans take that take that 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 deal I don't no. know I don't think they would I think it probably ends up hurting like I think you have more casual fans fall off because they're not going to be at as many competitions or even if they are it's a confusing uh, like North America Africa combined competition and I think people who who have trouble following that maybe wouldn't tune in 
But people who like the United States, I think, would love to see them play better teams and see how they do. So mm-hmm. it would be definitely a trade-off. My final thing on this one, uh, when we before we started recording, I was just sort of talking about like, ah, oh, yeah, like it'd be interesting if this were to happen. Like uh, how like it'd be cool to get like this as a one-off competition. And Graham responded, "Yeah, I think that's probably going to start happening in the future," which I thought was a joke until he told me about the uh, next iteration of the UEFA yeah. Nations League. I'm assuming just European teams in there, Graham. Uh, no, no. Brazil and Argentina are apparently ah. going to be invited into the Nations League. All right. I'm a little bit unclear on whether it's, it's any more, um, Conwell teams, but certainly Brazil and Argentina, they, they are expected to be part of the next UEFA Nations League. And of course, Qatar were part of the, even though they didn't pick up points, they were still part of, I think it was Group A in the last uh, UEFA World Cup qualif- qualification process. So while this is a hypothetical, hypothetical question, and, and I do think mashing CONCACAF and calf together as, as a little bit of a footballing uh, Frankenstein's monster that maybe we won't see but I do think we will start to see confederations coming together certainly in terms of their in terms of their confederational uh, cups like the Euros and I think the Gold Cup and 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 Copa America in particular, that would maybe make sense to combine that. We've obviously already seen the US being part of the Copa America Centenario. So yeah, Anthony's question is, is, is largely based in fantasy, but there is a, there is a, a small part of reality in there as well. Uh, I love that answer, Graham. Plus one to you for Frankenstein's monster. So that's, uh, that's extra points for Graham for getting the monster correct. We're going to take a break. More <laughs> questions still to come. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. We are answering your listener questions. Up next, we have one from Guy Yedwab. Suppose Newcastle wins the Arsene Wenger fourth place trophy. Uh, I guess it will be renamed to the Eddie Howe fourth place trophy if they win it a couple times. Well, if I mean, the Newcastle summer... last season did have a big four on the front of their shirt. So, See? you know. See, they're already preparing. They, they prepared well in advance for this one. Uh, <laughs> if in the summer they want to take the step, the next step to challenge for the title, which current Newcastle starters could they retain and still take that next step? In particular, would Miguel Almiron make the cut? He would at the moment, much to yep. Jack Grealish's uh, <laughs> disappointment and disgruntlement. Um, so let's get the easy one out of the way in terms of which Newcastle players would be able to take that next step. So that that easy one is Bruno Gumares, who yep. the, the question with him isn't at the moment isn't whether he's good enough to help Newcastle take the next step. It's whether another big club might take come in and take him away before Newcastle mm-hmm. take that next step there's there was rumors in the summer even though he'd only been there for six months that Real Madrid wanted him he was linked with Liverpool as well so I don't think the, the concern with Newcastle as I say is whether he's good enough it's whether they can hold on to him for for, for long enough um another post takeover signing Sven Botman I've, I've liked what I've seen of, of him at center back um he hasn't quite enjoyed the the instant success that Gomares has, has had but it's He's, he's a similar sort of player in that it, it feels like Newcastle have found a, a player who's at the right age and has just enough experience underneath his belt to then make that that next step up. So I think Sven Botman is going to be part of that team for a while. And I think he could be potentially Newcastle's Vincent Company in terms of being a player who joins pretty early on in the takeover era and then and then stays in, in the team for, for years, even as better players arrive around him. Um, Alan Maximin is a difficult one. I don't know what your thoughts are on him, Taylor, but he's he's capable of of moments of brilliance, but he's he's still pretty inconsistent and his injury record is, is is patchy. So I don't know whether I would. I don't know whether I would see him. It feels like potentially, even though he is a good player, a very good player on his day, it feels like if, if we're talking about Newcastle winning titles and playing in the Champions League, it does kind of feel like they could maybe upgrade on him. What, what are your thoughts on this? 
that he feels like an appropriately top six player uh, because he is very, very good and so could, I think, make a lot of teams better, but also because he's one of those, oh, he's not quite fit. Oh, he's out. Of, he's he's coming back from injury. Oh, he played five games and he's really good. Oh, he's injured again. And you always have a couple of those players with each team that sort of when they're fit and firing are next level, but are often injured at the same time. So he feels like one who will sort mm. of be in that pool because he won't hit the form consistently or long enough or he's Newcastle's Pulisic basically yeah exactly there you go and so he's but also I think because he would theoretically demand a really high price tag you're not going to let him go for cheap you're not maybe going to let him go on loan so he seems like he would be there would be a really effective player to have coming in off the bench or if he can find that form and stay healthy consistently but I think otherwise probably sticks around in my mind it it it, it struck it struck to me that like you have still with this Newcastle team have a squad that is very good but still assembled from different eras and different managers and so I think what it ends up being is the slow streamlining of what Eddie Howe wants what the uh the Saudi ownership group wants in terms of how to become the most competitive team my other question before we even get into that is, is Eddie Howe the one who you think sticks Ooh. around, Graham? I, I was reading Newcastle message boards. Everybody seems to love him. Everybody seems yeah. very excited with what he's doing. But I don't know if they hit a, a bad run of form, if they fall out, if they're 10th in the table. Is he still there long term? So I've had to reconsider my stance on Eddie Howe a little bit. Mm -hmm. When he was appointed by Newcastle, I wasn't sure about that at all. I think on Monday you said that he was a bit of a Mark Hughes appointment, and that's entirely how I felt. When he went to Newcastle, Eddie Howe. That um, I said, he reminded me of the Mark Hughes appointment. Yes, indeed. That that mm. is how that's how it felt to me as well. Was this guy is good and he's a step up on what Newcastle have had. I mean, the guy that they had before Eddie Howe was Steve Bruce. I think a uh, head of lettuce would be a would step <laughs> step up on Steve Bruce. But would it, it, uh, would, it would maybe last as long. We, we've learned that now. <laughs> Heads of lettuce can sometimes last longer yeah. than you think. Yeah, let's let us. Maybe that's who uh, <laughs> Newcastle should have got in for, for that job. But yeah, Eddie Howe, at the time of his appointment, I wasn't entirely sure. It felt like the guy before the guy a little yep. bit. And yep. in general, Eddie Howe was... I know he achieved great success at Bournemouth, but his last season, they weren't very defensively good at all. And actually, not that this summer, but the summer before, Celtic were going after Eddie Howe, and it felt like that was going to happen for Celtic. And this is how kind of low my opinion was of Eddie Howe I wasn't sure that he was the right man for Celtic um, so I have had to reconsider my stance because he's done brilliantly since he has come in I, this is boring I, I don't know how to give you an answer for that because I'm not quite ready to let go of uh, my, no, my former former opinion of Eddie Howe at the moment he's doing he's doing fantastically and they look like a brilliantly balanced team but I do want to see him do it consistently up in the top six for yeah. a couple of seasons before I consider him kind of elite, an elite level manager. And I would say similar of, of someone like Graham Potter. I'm, I'm maybe slightly more impressed with Graham Potter than I am Eddie Howe because of just how well his Brighton team played over a number of seasons. But I, if you ask me about Graham, Graham Potter, am I ready to rank him among the Premier League's best? No, not at the moment. I want to see him after a couple of seasons at a team like Chelsea. So similar sort of thoughts with Eddie Howe, but yeah, I still kind of, I can't quite shake the feeling that he is the guy before the guy. And and we we can't know that, obviously. What I will say is looking at Mark Hughes when he takes over City and, and thinking about the, the cash that they splash, you have, I think, both the Torre brothers brought in at the same time, or maybe it was just Colo, uh, and that's obviously when Adebayor uh, makes that move. But you had Rubinho with like the huge price tag moving to City as their sort of statement signing, and that really felt at odds with Mark Hughes coming in. That wasn't really where he was coming from in his coaching background. And and I think the difference maybe is that Newcastle have talked openly about how they don't want to follow that model. They don't want to be like that. Now, that could just be lip service, but it might be, no, we want to build sensibly. We want to reflect Newcastle. We want to have an English manager and Eddie Howe who sort of builds a sensible team that isn't just Galactico superstars. And if that's the case, they seem to be doing a pretty good job of that. So if that is what they want to end up doing, then they seem to be moving in the right direction. But it then still, to my, to my mind, means they have to strengthen in certain positions Callum Wilson scores a great goal this weekend. Bodies Hugo Lloris does a great job there. I don't know if he is the long-term solution at striker. Mm. I don't think Chris Wood is either. So I think looking specifically at that center forward position, that's one where it seems like some some more investment is likely. They have yeah. obviously spent money already on some uh, pretty strong attackers there. 
heavily linked with a 17-year-old Brazilian, I believe it is. Uh, uh, Angelo Gabriel of Santos, He's club fake. president, confirmed. <laughs> it, it, does sound, it does sound like a FIFA transfer a little bit, uh, or a <laughs> FIFA video game transfer. Uh, their president uh, confirmed an offer had been received. Uh, Barcelona has the right of first refusal on him. He has a 60 million euro release clause. MLS? Yep. Um, Newcastle have bid 25 million euros. Santos reportedly holding out for 30. That doesn't seem like that huge of a difference. So maybe that one happens, but mm. that, t- that tells me they're already looking for yeah. the kind of next generation of young attackers to bring into the academy. So I, I do think that's an area that we might see them mm. start strengthening. It's always, it's always quite fun when you have these big takeovers of teams that are traditionally not particularly strong. And then the yeah. first couple of years, you have this mishmash of superstars with players who are not quite up to the level. So mm-hmm. Man City, you have like Yaya Toure bursting forward from midfield and he plays the pass to his right to Stephen Ireland, uh, <laughs> which feels a little bit like a disconnect. I think Stephen Ireland was actually a pretty decent player for Man City, but you get what I'm saying. Stephen Ireland wasn't really of the quality to take that next step. And no, it feels Stephen a Ireland little... is, is the correct punchline. You are correct. That is the punchline. <laughs> well done. Yeah, and, and it feels a little bit like that with Newcastle right yeah. now, where they have Bruno Gumares, who it feels like could play for any team in the world right now. And he's playing alongside Sean Longstaff, who Sean Lonstaff is is doing a decent job. I think I praised him on Monday there, but yeah, similar to Steven yeah. Island, it, fe- it feels like he's probably going to fall by the wayside as uh, as Newcastle sign you know Paul Pogba in two years or something like that. Well, the thing, and that, my final point on this, and I'm glad you took us in this direction, is that so you have so there's like the the first step is strengthening the team across the board, bringing in some very marquee players that you can build that team around, that can anchor the team, that can be those sort of. Uh, points of stability when you do have moments of flux in the way you're playing. I think another step then becomes not just replacing the players who aren't of that quality, but you also then have to bring in players who either can challenge the starter or can eventually challenge the starter because Bruno Guimaraes is an incredible signing. He's been an incredible player for them. I suspect he will continue to be so. But there does seem to be a certain point with players when they don't have that challenger in in training. They don't have that person who's nipping at their heels and making them keep their game up and they can slack off a little bit. They, t- they can take off. And you also get that with teams that have these big disparities in the talent pool, in the, in, in the gap in talent. And so I think bringing in players who are going to be the next generation or can challenge or can be capable deputies, I think is the other sign that Newcastle are building that squad that will be in the top four, top six, whatever Mm. it may be for a good long while. Yeah, and I think Newcastle bringing in Dan Ashworth, who was obviously the guy credited with with building the the Brighton squad. He was also in an important role at the FA, the English FA as well. I think bringing in Ashworth suggests that maybe they are going to do things in a slightly way, a slightly different way, excuse me, to... To Manchester City, who I know eventually they brought in uh, Bagheristain and Ferran Soriano, and and that was to prepare the ground for Guardiola coming in, and and there was eventually a bit of a a more holistic approach from from Manchester City. But if you look at the signings in the first few years, you know they signed Rubinho on deadline day, then they bring in Carlos Tevez, and it does feel a little bit football manager in those first few years for Manchester City. And yes, they improve as a team, but in those first few years, you didn't really feel like they were getting anywhere quick. In fact, it, it took Man City, what, three or four seasons to get up into the top four? And on their current trajectory, with Newcastle United sitting in the top four already, just a year after the takeover, it feels like Newcastle might might beat that in terms of uh, getting to where they want to go and at a quicker pace, but in a very different way where they are building that squad with, with a little bit more method. They are bringing in some superstars like Gomares, but they're not really bringing in anyone who's close to 30 that they're not going to get kind of a yeah. good number of years out of. So I do think Dan Ashworth is maybe the most important person at Manchester, eh, Manchester City, at Newcastle United hmm. right now. So when we're, we're praising how, and he has done an excellent job I think we also have to look at what Ashworth, Ashworth has done. My final final thing would be if they go out uh, in in January or in the summer and sign somebody like Conrad Limer, that to me is a sign that they are make, continuing to make smart investments. He's 25. Uh, he is experienced internationally. He's had a ton of success with Leipzig and Salzburg before that. And that is a player who could also uh, challenge Gimaraes, but could also play alongside mm-hmm. him if you need something more defensive and is just a very sensible signing, especially because I think he is close to being out of contract. So it would be yeah, a real... Bayern Munich available. wouldn't like that at all. No, they will not. Uh, and maybe they've already locked that deal up. So maybe that's a bad example. But yeah, that I think that's the type of signing that I think yeah. Newcastle he'll, will make. He'll, Conrad Limer, he already has a red Audi sitting in his drive. <laughs> 
which I, I'm going to assume also has Nagelsmann's face on the door, just because that feels like <laughs> something Julian Nagelsmann would do. But I think what we'll see He's is... He's in sight. Yeah, of course, waiting to waiting to drive him or navigate or scream in his ear about how he should be driving better and faster and more efficiently. Yeah, that that all checks out. I think Newcastle will probably clear out some of the 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 bench. I think they'll clear out some of like the the depth there and add maybe depth with a high, a higher floor, put it that way. So, I think Newcastle building in the right direction and I'm guessing they will continue to do so. Graham, we've got Two questions specifically mm. for you up next. Uh, we're going to do one, then we're going to take a break. This one from Kevin Thompson for Graham. I'm currently traveling in Scotland, and I'm working my way through my very first can of Iron Brew. Uh, my partner tried it, and her reaction was, and I quote, it tastes like medicine. I, for one, <laughs> don't mind it, and I'm curious what all the hype is about, either positive or negative. Thank you, says Kevin. Kevin, I don't believe you're going to get any negative comments from Graham on this one. <laughs> So Iron Brew is is known as Scotland's other national drink. That is that is a nickname that is that is often uttered. What is the age. national drink? Uh, the alcoholic version of Iron Brew ah. whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, does Iron Brew have it? Like, is there a- Iron Brew Plus with alcohol in it, or you just mean whiskey in general? No, Iron Brew Plus is just uh, Iron Brew with whiskey. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they don't they don't sell it in a can, but you know you can just it's, you can it's, it a, it's a it's a DIY <laughs> beverage. You know, most people can can put that one together. Doesn't take many years at, 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 at bar school to, to yeah. learn that one, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it really is ubiquitous in, in Scotland. If you go to a, a shop or a restaurant or whatever, it is genuinely: do you want Coca Cola or do you want Iron Brew? That's that's your two default option. And 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 I drink, I drink a lot of Iron Brew, probably more than than any other uh, uh, soda. I guess we wouldn't call it a soda, but yeah, soda. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite soda. It's just it's just kind of. I mean, it is. It, I like it a lot. It's just a default. I can't stress that enough. When you come to Scotland, it is a default option. If you want uh, a, a soda, a fizzy juice, it's 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 either Coke oh, or do. Iron Brew. That's that, and and it's and it's a oh, reflex man. response when someone asks you want to what, what what you want to drink, and that's me with with Iron Brew. I struggle to explain what Iron Brew tastes like. So it's it's fruity, sort of. Uh, I do want some of Kevin's Weiss Weiss medicine because uh, my medicine tastes. Uh, not like Iron Brew, shall, yeah. shall we? Shall we put it? But um, I actually found a, a, a survey which asked people in Scotland what Iron Brew tastes like. So most Glaswegians said it tasted like tutti frutti. People in Edinburgh said it's bubble gum. People in the Highlands said cream soda, yeah. and people in the Central Belt, which is that's me, um, said sherbet. I think it's I think it's a bit like gingery cream soda. Is that's the best job that I can do explaining what it tastes like? And uh, obviously that sounds very weird, but could you explain what Coca Cola tastes of? Like what what does Coke taste of? That, and that's a similar thing with Iron Brew, and that's why I say like it's a, it's a and default fructose option. Corn syrup. That's my answer. Heaven and yeah. fructose corn syrup. Yep. So yeah, uh, fructose fructose corn syrup is basically also what Iron Brew tastes like. It's there just a, a different interpretation of it. But yeah, honestly, I mean, it's like, it's like, like answering it's like when what people... it tastes like is so difficult. I can't, I can't answer it. It's like it's like trying to answer what does beer taste like. Like if you've never had beer, it's difficult to explain. And I think Iron Brew is the same. I, I feel like the, I was surprised the stock answer to what does Iron Brew taste like was wasn't just it tastes like Iron Brew. Uh, I think <laughs> I think if it, I've I've had it, I think I would go with. Uh, I, I think cream soda with ginger makes sense to me. I would go like a, a, a slightly citric or citrus yeah. cream soda. That that yeah, is what it tasted like to me. But it also does have that that slightly whiskey quality of like a, a tiny little burn down the throat as yep. well. Like that's oh, yeah. why I bring in the the ginger element. So it's kind of like a citrusy ginger cream soda is is what it is. Which is weird, I know, but it, I guess when you've had like decades of Scottish people drinking gallons of the stuff. Every every week, every day, then it kind of just becomes, uh, you get used to it. It just becomes a, a, a taste that is part of your palate. I've thought about this a strange amount. And what, I, what I've come away with is the idea that, like, it's sometimes you want uh, a Sprite or you want uh, a Fresca or something. You want, like, a a more refreshing, theoretically lighter soft drink uh, in the United States, uh, especially here in the South when it's, when it's, like, hot outside. Maybe you don't want a Coke, you do want a Sprite. And I can see how in Scotland... That would be the equivalent of the sprite when it's a little bit colder and maybe a little bit rainier. You want something mm. orange and fizzy and and and, and a bit uh, brighter. So I I, I yeah. think it, it makes a lot of sense. And what also makes sense, Graham? I'm sorry. Well, go ahead, go ahead, and then I'll no. Conclude. Just say, and there's also certain foods that go better with iron brew and other foods that are that are good with coke. Filet so mignon. For, 
<laughs> yeah, with Iron Brew. Yeah, that's yeah, what most people in, in, in Scotland yeah. go to. Yeah. yeah. It's, a little, it's a little bit like, um, I don't know if I should bring up this show because there was, there was a lot of problematic stuff in it, but Little Britain had a sketch where there's a guy in a restaurant and, and he orders like, I'll have the filet mignon, please, with the dough and my potatoes. And then they go, and uh, anything else, sir? And he goes, yes, a packet of Monster Munch, which is like <laughs> like really terrible crisps in the UK. So sim- similar sort of vibe, you know, order the filet mignon and have a, yeah. a glass of iron brew with exactly. it. But there are, there are certain... Uh, there are certain um, foods, like for instance, if I have a, a like a chippy, like fish and chips, you would always have iron brew with with fish and chips. Yeah, but I see for, that. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. But yeah. like a slice of pizza, I would have Coke with yep. a slice of pizza, awesome. or makes or sense. a burger, I would have Coke with like anything that is kind of vaguely American. I guess I would have. But for example, a curry, like an Indian curry, I would have iron brew with that. So that that's maybe slightly weird to some people, but I, I think I'm, I'm not alone in that. I think a lot of people would have iron brew with a curry. Fried chicken? Coke, I think. Fried chicken, yeah. Chicken and waffles. Um uh Iron Brew, I think. I would All actually right. my, my my immediate thoughts there are I want the fried chicken. You can get like iron brew fried stuff, like you know, you put the iron brew in the batter. I want iron brew fried chicken now, that's what I want. That Sounds about as appetizing as the NyQuil fried chicken that was doing the rounds, I think, <laughs> on, uh, on, on the TikToks. Uh, Graham, the other question I had for you uh, from this one, which I mm. believe you have already answered. I did not know that you all don't call it soda or pop or whatever it may be yeah. until you said that. Do you call it fizzy juice? Because yeah. please tell me you call it fizzy juice. <laughs> yeah, fizzy juice, yeah. Yes! <laughs> That is so, my favorite so, thing in the world. So the other one was Ryan couldn't believe, you know, uh, like cordial, like juice cordial, or in, in uh, sorry, in England they would call it squash. In Scotland, a hundred percent of Scottish people call that diluting juice, right? And Ryan was giving me so much grief for the, for calling it a diluting juice. That I accept that's very literal, but diluting juice is fine. I do accept that fizzy juice is a little bit juvenile, uh, but that is what Scottish people will call that fizzy juice. Yes, yeah, so does not unless it's like cream soda, which is obviously in the name so does so does not really a natural word for scottish people to say i i don't understand most of the words you just said i hope i'm not alone squash cordial and diluting yeah. juice all right so cordial is not uh i thought that was maybe a, a global term yeah so is, is that, that it's a, like a liqueur is that a liqueur so it's like concentrated juice you know like it's 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 juice that you pour a little bit into a glass then you put water in it and you get like orange or like in the uk we have like oasis or you do you have ribena is something you have in america right isn't it Am I saying a lot of words that you don't know? You're saying a lot of words that I don't know. <laughs> okay. Maybe we this call isn't that an American thing at all then. We call it so, concentrate, yeah. I think. Yeah. So like con- yeah, like concentrated juice. And in England, they call that squash. And in Scotland, we call that diluting juice. We're very literal people. Fascinating. I'm going to contemplate this. We're going to take one more break. We'll be back with some more questions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We are back. Another question for Graham, or maybe not specifically for Graham, but I'm going to be mostly silent for this one. Zach Kaler asks, what happened to Christian Ramirez at Aberdeen? Mm-hmm. Graham, can you run us through Christian Ramirez first being at Aberdeen and then yep. what went wrong? Yeah, so Christian Ramirez, he had a very good season for Aberdeen last year. He was a top scorer. He finished on 14 goals in the league. And he was one of the few players to come out of last season with, with any credit for Aberdeen. And I think I might have mentioned him a couple times on the Americans, uh, in action show, 
not really seriously tipping him for an American cop. I don't think he was ever in that picture or even at that level. But nonetheless, it wasn't completely ridiculous to say that he was an American who was succeeding uh, uh, abroad and maybe someone at US Soccer, Beralter, one of his coaching staffs, staff, was, was maybe keeping an eye on him. I doubt they're keeping an eye on him now um, because at the end of last season, he basically decided that he wanted to go back to America there was this bizarre Instagram post by his uh, his wife or, or, or partner. I'm not sure if they're married. Um, she made a, a, an Instagram post around that time. And I'm just going to read out this post because I went back and I, I found it. So this was the post. Didn't think I would make it through these past couple months. Living in another country is hard. This is the, the funny bit. While to experience some of the differences, Americans are spoiled as heck. She didn't use the word heck, but you get the gist. Um... I want to know about the differences, <laughs> the way she's worded that. It's as if she's been living in Fallujah for the last 12 months, <laughs> not the, the third biggest city in, 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 in Scotland. But that paints a picture that uh, Ramirez and his partner maybe weren't happy in Aberdeen. Um, I mean, I would argue what's not to like about Aberdeen. There is at least one Nando's in Aberdeen and you can, you can, visit the, you can visit the oil, the oil rigs on an excursion um, okay, and there's sunshine for <laughs> like at least like double figures of days per year in Aberdeen. So now I'm starting yeah, to what's see. not to like? Now I'm starting to see. Is that, I know you're being tongue in cheek here, but is that basically what you think it was? It was just environment, lack of daylight, uh, harsh conditions, and maybe also... Uh, the Scottish people being slightly less outgoing than Americans. What? I wouldn't say we're not outgoing. <laughs> How dare you? No, that's totally fair. Okay. Uh, I don't think anyone's as outgoing as Americans. In fairness, I think you could move anywhere in the world, and that and that and that would be the case. Um, yeah, basically, I think he decided he wanted to leave. He 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 basically checked out at the end of last season. He thought he was getting a move back to America. It seems very much like. His partner thought that as well. That Instagram post was essentially a farewell and they're yeah. still living in, in Aberdeen. Um, and I think Aberdeen clearly thought he was going because they replaced him. They signed two center forwards, one of whom is, is, is very good, a, a guy called Bojan Miofsky. He's possibly better than Ramirez. So between Ramirez and then they've got the second forward, uh, Luis Lopez. Um, so he's the, the starting option, Miofsky, and the second option, Lopez. Ramirez has just completely lost his place in the squad. He's he's barely in matchday squads at the moment, which is incredible given how well he played for them last season. And he's kind of screwed himself because I think if he hadn't agitated for that move, I don't think Aberdeen, maybe they signed one striker, but I don't think they signed two strikers in the summer. So uh, yeah, he kind of he kind of made his bed, I guess, and now he is lying in it by not being involved in the Aberdeen team at all, but still living in Aberdeen, which I'm sure him and his wife, uh, partner, are, are thrilled about. I don't know when they got married, but looking at his career for a moment, it is interesting because he's he's in California. That's where he's from. Uh, then he's with Minnesota, and I'm wondering if they're together during that time. And she's thinking, yeah, this is not quite the environment I wanted, uh, you know, to, to experience on a daily basis. So then they're at LAFC. Then he gets straight to Houston. Houston, very hot, very humid. And yeah. I wonder if they're like, all right, we'll, we'll try something a, a bit colder. We'll go Let's to go Europe. to Aberdeen. Yeah, exactly. They went from uh, a, and, the, and the partner a, goes, oh, Europe. That's uh, yeah. you know. Americans always have very romantic visions of, of Europe, which is always funny to me because Europe is just so many different countries all patched together. But yeah, Americans seem to talk of Europe as, as one big conglomerate. So I bet he sold it as we're moving to Europe mm -hmm. and then he's ended up, you know, on the, on the shores of the North Sea oil fields. I mean, Aberdeen's incorporated uh, locally quarried gray granite, which may sparkle like silver because of its high mica content. That's what the buildings are built out of. How do you, <laughs> do you not know, want sparkling, you know beautiful silver buildings? Do you know what Aberdeen's nickname is? The Granite City or the Grey City. It's Aberdeen's nickname. And a lot of those buildings are actually beautiful because they're made out, they are made out of, of granite and that lends itself to very architecturally pleasing buildings. But I think you need a certain eye. I mean, it's not exactly... Uh, Californian surf architecture in Aberdeen. I'll tell you that much. There's n been no like more definitive Scottish image in my mind than Graham Ruthven sipping an iron brew and just taking in the beauty that is the Grey City. That sounds that sounds about <laughs> right, Graham. That sounds appropriately yeah. Scottish to me. Look at that beautiful monochrome uh, <laughs> view. <laughs> so, but if we're answering the question, basically, it sounds like it is. Uh, for personal reasons, wanted to leave, did not end up getting the move, so is still there, maybe has had his head turned a little bit and isn't of the sharpness and caliber that is needed at present, so isn't playing anymore. 
yeah, he'll he will uh, he'll be out of there in January. I can't okay. imagine Aberdeen are particularly happy about. He'll, he'll be on fairly big wages for Aberdeen. He'll be one of the highest paid players at Aberdeen, so I can imagine it's in their best interest to move him on as well. And it would not surprise me if he ends up uh, back in MLS. He's he's still a decent player. You know, he was very good last season. So he, there's certainly a few MLS teams that could do with a striker like him. Uh, my, my hope is that somehow he ends up in northern Norway and we just keep going the opposite direction. <laughs> uh, we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, more questions. This one from Michael Hastings Black. Uh, Carlos Vela and Darlington Nagby have both decided uh, not to play for their national teams. What other stars or starters have said no thanks to their country and why? Uh, Darlington Nagby has been for uh, family reasons and there have been other uh, conversations in there as well. Uh, but yeah, he has chosen not to play for the United States. Carlos Vela, as far as I understand it, there was a party uh, before an international game or a series of games uh, that he attended, as did other members of the Mexico squad. He was the only player that got disciplined. I think I'm I'm reading a story that was maybe from his perspective. Uh, despite the other players being there, he took offense to that. I think he also wasn't a big fan of the Mexican Federation to begin with. So those are some uh, more personal reasons uh, for those two. But there are a number of players. And Graham, I want to jump ahead and say right away, there are many, many, many players players who chose, quote unquote, not to play for the national team anymore when it felt like maybe they were not going to be called in or the manager had moved on from them. So there's that one. There's also a ton of times that players clashed with managers. They sat out a couple years until that manager left and then they came back in. We can talk about some of those, but there are plenty of each of those. I, I tried to find a few more that were more either really acrimonious or more long term. Yeah, so obviously Vela and, and Nagme, Nagme, they they both have national team caps. So so the way I took this question mm-hmm. was similar to you. Players players who have played for a national team or yeah. could play for a national team are good enough to play for a national team and didn't and made the decision made the decision not to because obviously you have players who have retired from interna- international duty when when they get old. Um, that's just a, a natural part of careers. So I, I haven't really named any players like that. So um, my first suggestion, my first candidate is one player who said no thanks to his country when he was very much good enough, not just to play for his national team, but to be one of their best players. And that player was Paul Scholes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Paul Scholes, he made his last appearance for England in 2004 when he decided he no longer wanted to play for, for England. He was just 28 when, when he did that. And England kept coming back to Paul Scholes because obviously after that, I would argue Paul Scholes after 2004 was the best version of Paul Scholes. Until, until that time, Paul Scholes was very much... Uh, an attacking midfielder. He sometimes played in the wing for England, which I think was part of the problem. Maybe he didn't enjoy playing out of position, but he was an attack-minded player. And then laterally in his career, once he got into his 30s, he was this sort of Javi Hernandez type, deep-lying playmaker, passmaker, uh, someone who dictated the the tempo and the pace of a game. That was actually, I thought that was the best version of of, of Paul Scholes. Maybe people disagree on that. So it was, it was a shame that England never got that that player and they kept coming back to him. So I think Sven Gorn Eriksson had a, a discussion with him in 2000 and, uh in 2006, that must have been for, for, for that World Cup. I think Fabio Capello had another discussion with him before the 2010 World Cup. And actually, I, I watched an interview, or wasn't so much an interview. Gary Neville does these YouTube videos where he asks, he goes on a walk with people and it's called the overlap and he asks them a certain number of questions. And I watched that, watched that YouTube video and Neville is asking him about that call that he got from Fabio Capello. And basically, Paul Scholes was saying, I was feeling pretty good about my game. I was regretting not playing at more World Cups. And had Fabio Capello himself called him he probably would have gone to that world cup but it was a member of his coaching staff who called him and so schools just kind of felt like capello was wasn't really fully on board with having schools back in the team so he, he rejected that call as well and schools never played for for england again so that is that's one of the first names that that spring to mind when we're, we're thinking about this question uh, that is a great one, uh, and I will forever love me some Paul Scholes. I, uh, while you were talking, Graham, I also checked just to make sure. Yeah, Darlington Nagby, uh, I thought for a minute there was more to it, but I think it was basically just that he wanted more time with his family and that in the international breaks he didn't want to be going. His yeah. quote was like to play on a cricket field in St. Vincent and the Grenadines. That's the second time they've come up somehow in this episode. Uh, he preferred <laughs> to be with his family, and, and I don't begrudge him that, but I also don't think then that he should be with the national team. Mm. Uh, another player yeah, it was, who- it was actually, it was actually 
actually just to jump in there it was similar with with school so in that video with neville he mm-hmm. neville asked him so what, what 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 was it why did you retire from england he basically said he didn't he didn't go uh, enjoy going away with the england team and then neville presses him on oh was it the whole kind of toxic atmosphere around england and school says no it actually wasn't it was just the fact that i didn't like being in a hotel room for yeah. you know if you're at a world cup for a month he yeah. didn't like being in a hotel room away from his family he didn't like having those international breaks and and traveling around so similar i think to to darlington nagby where schools just kind of wanted to use that time in in a different way uh bern schuster uh the the not german legend but is german and is a footballing legend uh would be another one of those i believe he turned down a call up because he had i think his wife had just had a a, a a child so he wanted to spend some time he skipped a friendly and that did not go over well and i think that just continued to be the case so though he was an incredible player he ends up missing out on the 90 world cup and i think many other competitions because he chose family over football uh then you can go a different way where there can be personal convictions michael laudrup refused to play for denmark because he rejected their style uh that's the the, the source I saw, they went on to win the 92 Euros without him, admittedly playing very dull, very boring, very uh, not beautiful football, which is what Michael Laudrup wanted to play. His brother also briefly retired, but then came back in to play for that Euros team. So slightly less conviction there. Roy Keane would be the other one in this category for me, uh, leaving yeah. the 2002 World Cup out of... Uh, to just, walk his dog. Just genuine Roy Keane anger, but also the facilities. We did an episode on this a long time ago. Uh, we went like in depth on what had happened and why it all went down the way it did. But basically, he has a blow up at uh, then Ireland manager Mick McCarthy uh, for the facilities, for the scheduling, for the way the team is training, for the lack of seriousness about the training. Uh, ends up leaving after squads have been announced, so he can't be replaced. Ireland still have a pretty successful 2002 World Cup. Roy Keane eventually recalled after. McCarthy resigned, but there's a three-year period there when he was still a very good footballer, but wasn't being called up to Ireland for that reason. I think he says he now regrets that, yeah. and then he was he was he was pressed on. So do you think he made the wrong decision? And in typical Roy Keane fashion, he didn't backtrack all the way. He basically went, "No, I was right to raise it." But I think I think he regrets just in a broad sense the fact that he didn't get to play it at that World Cup. Um, I think that's still mm-hmm. something that. That he wishes he had done. There's also, obviously, this is just one side of the story, but I think Roy Keane also was talking about it wasn't just like the facilities, it was the fact that Ireland turned up to training for the first day and like the balls hadn't arrived. And basically, they were saying, yeah, like, the, that's oh, right. the ball. The balls will be here tomorrow. And Roy Keane's like, eh, did nobody at the, the, FA, the FAI think to actually bring some footballs to a World Cup? So I, I do, as I say, it's one side of the story, so maybe we're not getting the full picture there, but I, I do think some of Roy Keane's, uh, gripes were were understandable given that the country was was at a world cup yeah and this is the same breaking we've talked about it before just like the intensity of manchester united training how seriously it was taken how like militant it was i imagine to go from that to like ah the balls will be here sometime probably not going to be well received by him uh one more name that i had did you have fernando redondo graham i didn't no oh this is a great one uh so with uh, Argentina, Fernando Redondo, uh, he plays a whole bunch of times between 1992 and 1994. I believe he makes 27 caps when he's a youngster. Uh, but then Daniel Passarea uh, took over the Argentine national team uh, after their failure at the 94 World Cup. Uh, he banned earrings, long hair, and homosexuals from the team. Uh, wow. Redondo did not take well to that, nor did Batistuta. Batistuta held out before ultimately getting a haircut because he wanted to go to the 98 World Cup. But Fernando Redondo did not. And at the time, he was one of the best defensive midfielders in the world playing for Real Madrid. Wouldn't cut his hair. Maradona, I suspect that the hair was the most, like, public thing about that but I, i'm guessing there were other issues there because i believe redondo yeah. has has been fairly outspoken about some of that uh those decisions from Passarea. uh but maradona gets involved the actual president of argentina gets involved Passarea eventually changes course ahead of a pivotal world cup qualifier versus colombia says redondo can come in and play even without the even without getting a haircut redondo still declined retired from club football in 2004 with 29 caps so he gets two more in friendlies very much later on but 27 uh caps from 92 to 94 and then two from 94 to 2004 mm. uh but yeah fernando redondo is taking a stance for his hair and for other reasons as well and for that i appreciate him yeah i mean any any manager that stipulates those things i think that says more about just the yeah. en- the environment and the dressing yeah. room in general um so i can't i can't imagine that was a very 
pleasant place to be at that time along kind of similar lines talking about the environment and the the treatment by the by the fa another name on my list uh, is ada hegeberg who Ah, took some time out of playing for the norwegian national team at the at the time when she was probably the best player in the world i think she won a ballon d'or while she wasn't playing for norway she misses the 2019 world cup because she was unhappy with the, the Norwegian Football Federation about basically how they, how they treat women's football and they would turn up to games and the facilities wouldn't be there and the scheduling would be poor. And basically she, her, her accusation was basically that the it, women's football was an afterthought for the Norwegian Football Federation and she wouldn't return until that changed. She has actually uh, returned this year, mm-hmm. er, earlier this year. Of course, she played at the, the Women's Euros in the summer. I think she's expected to play at the, the Women's World Cup next year, um, which suggests that she has had evidence and reassurances i think norway is one of the countries now that's paying the same to the to the men and 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 the women so fair play to uh, an applause to ada hegerberg because it feels like she had a very direct influence in in changing that yeah and i mean really uh like you you could because i think the u.s women's national team has had players who were equally vocal in their frustration with the federation but i think when you're playing for the united states and you're going to go to a world cup and potentially win it it's hard to say you know what no i'm sitting out in protest and i think the u.s women's national team has done a lot to keep that struggle that fight very public and and center while also being very good i think for ada hegerberg it's just that much more commendable to sit out when you have a finite amount of time to play and you're playing at that level you have this profile and you choose to use that profile to sit out and publicly protest uh uh, more power to her, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, any other names on your list, Graham? Because I think there's, as I said, there's plenty that had falling outs with managers. Uh, plenty of the France team in 2002 under Raymond Dominic seemed to have taken yeah. some time away. Uh, and I think between 98 and 2002 as well, you had plenty of players who maybe didn't want to be around him so much. So I think when there's a manager who's particularly unpopular or particularly divisive, you're going to get players who sit out for a couple of yeah. years, but then ultimately end up coming back when that manager... Uh, heads out yeah and maybe this is a a, a, i don't know a particularly french thing because the women's euros in the summer there you had amandine Henri and eugenie le sommer who who i think fell out with uh corinne diacre the the head coach there so they weren't involved in that tournament um going back to to men's football though uh, gerard piquet i think is another who has rejected international call-ups recently so he last played for spain in 2018 um and he hasn't played again for them since and there's a there's a little bit more to this one because pk ended up with in a dispute with the spanish fa and there were some suggestions that as someone who openly and proudly backs the the independence cause in catalonia there was maybe some political reasons for him turning turning his back on on spain as well but there's there's no doubt that he's been good enough to play at that level over the last four years for spain and every so often you get stories of oh the Spanish FA is going back to PK there's another political element to this where there's a dispute between the Spanish FA and then the, the Spanish League and PK seems to have sided with the the Spanish League Javier Tebas who's the, the the chief in the Spanish League so it very much feels like that is a that's a particularly complicated one and it would be surprising to see Gerard PK in a, in a Spain shirt again uh Agreed on that one. I think for many reasons, it'll be surprising to see Jared Pique in a Spain shirt. We've also had instances, I think the AU brothers, uh, I think a couple different Jamaican players have sat out due to disputes with federations over payments or bonus payments. And, and that will be another one where if you feel like, I think similar to Roy Keane, you feel like the federation or the team itself isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing, uh, then you take your stand, you sit out and you hope for uh, some change to be enacted. Uh, so I think it, it's always, it always ends up being a thing that is, I think, really aggressively talked about and sort of condemned in some ways. Like Darlington Nagby is one where I think there is still some level of animosity towards him because he didn't want to play for the United States. And for so many people who who uh, dream of playing for the national team in a World Cup, I think it feels like, what? Like, how dare you? How dare you not do that? And yeah. I think my response to that is um, he chose to to be a dad, <laughs> to be a husband, to be a uh, a son or whatever it may be. Like, I, I, I don't begrudge him that. I, I think it takes an incredible amount of I don't know, internal strength to make that decision. Uh, and not that he would be, you know, the best player. He wouldn't be starting for this U.S. team or anything like that, I don't think. But I, I think it's still, it's it's to be commended in my mind, broadly speaking. I think there are those few instances where a player refuses to get over themselves. Nangalan may have had some issues. Raja Nangalan for refusing to quit smoking. That one I have maybe less sympathy for. But broadly speaking, I think when a player stands up and, and makes a decision that is going to make them unpopular, that is going to be difficult, that can hurt 
their career long term, the sponsorships they get, the money they're able to make, the fact that they're a name a name brand like Ada Hagerberg, I think it's it's yeah. to their credit. Yeah, I mean players are people. That shouldn't be much of a a revelation, but some not players to feel FIFA. the need not according to FIFA. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yes. They have yet to make that recognition. Um but yeah, players players are people and some players feel they need more rest time, they need more time with their family, not just for own kind of in, indulgent reasons. I wouldn't say those reasons are indulgent, but you get yeah. what I'm saying. Also for just their ability as an athlete. They need that time to to rest and recuperate. I think Scholes was he said that he found that time beneficial for him to get ready for the next season, not being away at a World Cup, spending all his time training and playing and being in a hotel room, but using that time to, to get ready for, for what was coming ahead. Yeah, we are. Uh, final question. This one will be brief from Kat Hayes. What happened to Americans in action? The episodes that led me to follow Total Soccer Show. Uh, thank you for that. Really missing them lately in the home stretch to the World Cup. Cat, uh, they will return. Uh, we've been trying to balance the schedule as best we can with so much soccer happening currently. I think also, being totally honest, those last friendlies really threw me for a loop. Uh, I won't speak for Grammar Joe, but I'll just say I came away from that one. I talked about this a little bit oh, uh, with Sam on yesterday's show that it, it started to mm. feel for me like every hole that we were plugging opened up two other holes. And it just I don't do well when that like if we have a plan and then the plan has to be adjusted fine that's how plans work you got to kind of be able to pivot when you need to but when it feels like we have a plan and then halfway through the plan it's like never mind the first two steps of the plan weren't actually working so we need to change that and it starts to feel very uh hodgepodge very ramshackle it doesn't make me feel like uh there's a a good way to talk about it that is constructive and sort of helps us know more about the team know more about the players i think with a little bit of a break i I have i think more perspective i feel a little bit better about the u.s and the the issues that there are within that team so i feel more comfortable then talking about some of the players again and not just going immediately to like who cares it doesn't matter we're bad yeah, I think there was one week after those those friendlies. What was the second game? So it was Japan first and then Saudi, Saudi Arabia, Arabia, right? Yeah. So after the Saudi Arabia game, which obviously was was pretty bad, and I think everyone, including ourselves, was was feeling pretty down after that game. So it, it kind of felt a little bit jarring for the the, the mm-hmm. episode after that to kind of be... Because Americans in, in action is inherently quite a... Well, I think it's quite a positive show. You know, we're looking at players that are performing well abroad, and so it kind of felt like there was, there was a bit of a disconnect from going from, we basically felt very down about the situation. We didn't want to put on a false front and yeah. be all kind of, be all uh, artificially positive about things. And then I think after that week, basically MLS playoffs just ramped up. So you had decision day and now you're into playoffs and that obviously is maybe the yeah. home for, for that discussion. So those episodes will come back. I think basically since we stopped doing them, Americans have start, started doing better abroad. So I don't know if USMNT fans should want us to start those episodes back up again. I mean, towards the end, it basically felt like, uh, you know, one of those sites that's like, has X player scored yet? And then you yeah. go on to it and, and it's like, no, no, that was basically what we were doing for Ricardo Pepe <laughs> yep. every single week. Yep. Has, has Ricardo Pepe scored yet? Dot com. And the answer was no. But now he, as we said on Monday, he's turned into prime Filippo and Zaghi without the offside. So uh, maybe we should start covering him again. Yeah, I, w- I would like that. I would definitely like that. Uh, for people who've listened to the show, this will be no surprise. But I tend to be emotional. I tend to, to be pretty honest about that emotion, I think. And so... The other concern for me was that uh, if I'm hosting that Americans Abroad episode and Gio Reyna scores or makes his return or Ricardo Pepe scores, I- I'm confident that I would have been able to talk about that player and what they were doing and why they were able to score and how they'd added this new thing to their game. And then maybe started veering into like, but it doesn't matter because like, who knows what's going to happen with the U.S. And nobody wants to hear that. People want to hear good analysis, be it positive or negative, but always, I think, without bringing in your own like sad emotions. So I feel uh, it's okay <laughs> to be sad, but you don't have to make that about the entire show. So I think we're more, I at least hopefully am more capable of doing that. So I think we'll be back with more. Yeah, I'm not sure about myself. I think I'm basically TSS's ER. Uh, so I, see, you, you know, say I'm- that you're plenty happy you're plenty happy graham especially with iron brew in front of you and maybe a little bit of whiskey thrown into that iron brew too uh but yes we'll be back with more americans in action next week and listener questions as well and many other shows and many other uh co-hosts graham we're not going to have you for a couple episodes next week which i think is well earned you've been putting in the work we've got a world cup coming up uh i think i think some mental health breaks are probably good yeah Iron Brew Breaks is what that's going to be. <laughs> yeah, I guess I shouldn't assume it's mental health because I'm going to guess that you are still going to be just as busy just not talking about football. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, no, I am going to be I am going to be away for for three uh, days next week because we are uh, ramping up yeah. for our Super World Cup schedule. Of course, we're doing a live show at Littlefield in Brooklyn hey. on November twentieth. You can still buy tickets for that. You'll find them on our on our social feeds or in the, or in the show notes as, as as well. We'd be delighted to see you there. So so come along. But yeah, we're also going to be doing daily podcasts, and I think we might be doing some other uh, types of content yep. as well. So it feels like I am. Uh, I'm getting energy in the bank. I'm charging up for Good. what will be a, a full-on World Cup. So, yeah, I'll only be on the show maybe a couple of days next week, I think. All right. Well, we look forward to your return. But for now, Graham Ruffin, thank you for answering all of the many listener questions with me today. Thank you, Taylor Rockwell. Listeners, thank you for listening to us answer those listener questions. We'll talk to you again soon.